Well, good morning. Uh, it's a joy to be with you here this morning uh, from Chicago. Um, I'm, uh, as David mentioned, pastor up there in Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. I've been coming here for uh, about 10 years now. Actually, my wife and I sh- celebrated our 10-year anniversary, so a joy to be down here in the place where we were married, um, but also good to see all of your faces. Um, this has really been a place where we have come and worship a home away from home, and so uh, not only thankful for the, the opportunity to be here, uh, grateful to worship with you this morning and to bring God's word. Well, our passage um, this morning, it comes from Matthew's gospel, and in particular, the section in Matthew's gospel that you may, be, uh, uh, that you may well know, be, be well known to many of us, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we join with Jesus at the end of this sermon, uh, where he offers words that sum up his teaching. It is a gracious invitation to join with him, as he says, on the narrow way that leads to life. So let's turn together to, uh, to Matthew 7, 12 through 20. Uh, feel free to read along in your Bibles or just listen as I read from Matthew chapter 7. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or or figs from the thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Well, this is God's word. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that you would open us up to hear your words of life, to receive them and be changed by them. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, thinking about the, the Sermon on the Mount, this particular part of the Sermon on the Mount this past week, uh, it made me think about Bob Ross. <laughs> I hope that at least some of you know who Bob Ross was. I've heard that he's had a bit of a, a renaissance lately. But for those of you who, who don't know, Bob Ross was a painter from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. And he had uh, this show on PBS called The, the Joy of Painting. Now, I, I don't think I, I ever sought that show out. <laughs> I don't think I ever looked up when the joy of painting was going to be on so I could watch it. But if I was clicking through the channels and Bob Ross was on, I always found it impossible to turn away. I mean, the, the joy of painting was a, an instructional show, and, and every episode, this, this, is, this is all he did. <laughs> he would paint a picture, and while he was painting it, 
he would talk about how you too could learn to paint. <laughs> he was so incredibly laid back that he had this mellow, baritone voice, and he was always really, really happy. And it was utterly compelling television. <laughs> And he'd start with this, this blank canvas, and at the end of the show, there would be this, this landscape, this beautiful landscape painting. Now, now I don't know if, if they were any good or not, but they looked fantastic to me. I mean, for me, who isn't able to create like that, it was, it was like watching a wizard cast spells for half an hour. But I have to say, there were lots of times where I would see him paint something early in the process and, and like, like he would paint a really dark line across the whole canvas and he would paint a, 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 a series of weird pyramids in the sky and I, something, or something like that, right? Um, and in all of my youthful wisdom, I would look at him and do one of those things early in the process and, and I would think, well, Bob, you really messed this one up. <laughs> It just looks so bad. It would look like something I would do if I was painting. And you know, Bob Ross, he definitely made some mistakes. And, and when he would, he would acknowledge it. <laughs> One of his most famous lines, when he would paint something less than perfect, he would look into the camera and he would say, do you ever make mistakes in life? Let's make them birds. Yeah, they're birds now. He would just paint his mistakes into birds, you know, and it, it, it was amazing. But most of the time, he wasn't making mistakes when I thought he was making mistakes. He was laying out the, the necessary foundation for something beautiful. He would smudge that dark line into a mountain range he would somehow turn those weird sky pyramids into clouds or trees. It was beautiful. And when he was doing that, I, 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 what I thought was, was making mistakes, he was really starting something that, that he was going to, to return to later, to complete and perfect. And that is the connection to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In our text today, our text today is at the end of Jesus' sermon. But way back after the prologue to Jesus' teaching, he said something about himself. Back in, in chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus was saying that the law and the prophets, which is the story of God and the world that, that we read in the Old Testament, that was laying the foundation for something beautiful. And Jesus, he wants to make it clear to us that, that, that he was not coming to tear up that story. He was not coming even to rewrite or to revise it. He was coming to finish it, to make it beautiful to complete it into that beautiful story that it was meant to be all along. So now, here, at the very end of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes back to that same idea in verse 12. And it's not a coincidence. Jesus is closing the loop on all this, this part of the sermon. 
He says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Those things that I came to perfect, that story that I, that I came to make beautiful. This, this long story of God and his world that was first told to us through the law and the prophets. Now what Jesus is doing, he is first showing us our place in that story. When we are united to him by faith, we become the people that God has made us to be for the good of the world. In Jesus, people like us become people who love creatively. We become people who love with, with imagination. And that is good news, right? And, and I want us to see how it is true so that we can live into that truth. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Whatever it is that you imagine you would need, that you would want, do that to other people. Sometimes it gets called, it, it gets called the golden rule. Sometimes it's known by its nerdier name, the ethic of reciprocity. <laughs> I'm not sure that either of those names really capture the essence of what Jesus is really saying here. And Jesus, he wasn't the first teacher to ever say something like this. I mean, even in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, we hear something similar to what Jesus says here, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's very similar. But most ethical teachers in antiquity who said something like what Jesus says here would say it instead of the way that he said it in the negative. They would say, don't do to other people what you don't like being done to you. Hillel, the, the rabbi who lived shortly before Jesus, said it like this, that which is hateful to you, don't do to your fellow man. If you hate it when people do that stuff to you, don't do it. Stated that way, of course, it's, it's a prohibitive. It's a call to strict your action. It is a call not to act. But Jesus inverts it. He opens it wide by stating it positively. Whatever you wish other people would do to you, do that to them. I mean, it's expansive and, and it's active. I mean, here's what Martin Luther said about it. Martin Luther said it was certainly clever of Christ to put it that way. You are your own Bible, your own teacher, your own preacher now. And what I think Luther meant by that is to say that on, every, on, on the everyday, red-blooded street level, you do not need to be an expert to figure out how to love people who are around you. But it does require action and doing and imagination and creativity. It means that, that people like you and me need to be inquisitive. It's not enough for me to say, you know, I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not going to do hurtful, hateful things to my neighbor. I mean, just for the record, that's great, right? <laughs> Don't do hateful things to your neighbor. I mean, it's a really good place to start. And for people who follow Jesus, we should definitely be abiding by that. But Jesus' teaching here, it requires more. 
it is calling it out more in us. It requires to ask questions of ourselves. It, it requires me to ask questions of myself. What if I were my neighbor in her particular place with her particular struggles and difficulties? What if I were her? What would I want to, someone to do for me? What would I need someone to do for me? And once I've answered that question as best as I can, then I do it as best as I can. And that's what Jesus is telling us to do. What if I were a refugee, far from home, trying to feel some sense of home in this really strange place? What would I want someone to do for me? What would, what would I need someone to do for me? If I were a, a stay-at-home mom, a, a working mom, running hard all day, every day, to keep those plates spinning, falling into bed every night, completely exhausted. What would I want someone to do for me? What would I need someone to do for me? What if I were a regular, everyday kid, anxious, Anxious about my grades, anxious about my body, anxious about where I fit in into the social order in my school? What would I need someone to do for me? What would I want someone to do for me? What if I was the one whose close friend died? What if I was the one who usually looked different in lots of the groups that I find myself in? What if I was the guy who just lost his job? What if I was the, the person who felt deeply alone? What if I was the person nursing regrets that I think that I can never shake? What would I need someone to do for me? What would I, would I want someone to do for me? I know, friends, I know that we don't know all of the answers to all of those questions, and I sure don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to all of those questions. What I do know is that we can figure those out by simply asking that person we are thinking about, diving more deeply into the lives of the people around us. And friends, this is who we have been called to be for the good and the life of the world. As Jesus said at the beginning of the sermon in Matthew, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So here's a challenge for all of us this week, starting with me. Actively consider someone in your life. And I don't mean like a category of people or an issue. I mean a real red-blooded human being that you know. Consider that person in your life. Put yourself in their shoes. Put, your, put yourself in his shoes and ask what you would need if you were right there in those shoes. Talk to that person. Ask God for wisdom if you need to. And then when you know, act for their good. When people like us, when we do this, we're sharing in the gracious life of God with the world. We're sharing the life of God with this world. And, and I mean, that's, that's how this works. We were the ones who needed rescue, right? We, we were the ones who needed forgiveness. We were the ones who needed healing. 
We were the ones who needed restoration, and God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit see this, and they act through Jesus for our good in his life and death and resurrection and ascension. And that means that, for his, that, that his love for us is not only the rescue that we needed, it is, as Paul said, the energy that works powerfully in us to love as we have been called to love. Friends, we have everything that we need to love, more than enough to love. And I think that is another reason why Jesus' teaching here rings so very differently from other teachers who said similar things. It's because for Jesus, this ethical teaching is grounded. It's rooted in the love of God, in the story of God in this world. Right? That's why he says, whatever you wish other people would do to you, do also to them. Because this it's, is the law and the prophets. This is everything. This is what I was talking about at the beginning. It's, it's the completing, it's the perfecting in, in and through Jesus of the story of God and his people. It's about you and I becoming the people that we were created to be, fully alive, fully human. And church, the story of God and his people has always been, it has always been about his gracious deliverance. It was never been about, hey, Try harder. It's never been about, hey, meet God halfway and maybe he will, he will take notice. It's never been about, hey, you know, put some more effort into this. The true story of the world told to us through the law and the prophets completed and made beautiful through Jesus working in me and you by faith has always been about grace. So God's grace to us in Jesus, it provides the energy that we need to love the people around us. And God's grace to us in Jesus also gives us the mercy we desperately need when we fail to do so. And friends, this is good news. That is, that is a way for you and me to live that brings life in this broken world. So verse 12 is the end of the pr proper teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And I think what Jesus does in that short sentence is sum up the essence of everything that the rest of the sermon was about. And starting in, in verse 13, he begins to, to talk about how people like us should respond to what he has taught us. It's definitely still teaching, but it, it's teaching about how to respond to, to who Jesus is. It's like Jesus is saying at, at, at this point, okay, now, who is with me? <laughs> Who's with me on this road? And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is, is a series of warnings, four warnings, four, uh, we call them signposts, that, that people like us can use to make sure that we are on the road behind Jesus. We'll talk about two of them today. So the first signpost doesn't really stray at all from the metaphor of the way, being on the path, because it literally is about the way. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. These are, as one commentator put it, sharp and worrying words. <laughs> Friends, we need to hear that, that Jesus is here that Jesus is talking here not only about the nature of the road behind him, he is also talking about the eternal destinies to which those roads lead. We have to hear it, hear it first as that. First, first, we have to hear that Jesus is saying to follow him is to walk into life. And he is making a gracious invitation with these words to everybody who listens to him, which includes you and me right here, right now, this morning, to follow him into life. And he is clear about the nature of that road. It is narrow, and it is hard. And if we read through this sermon, if we paid attention to Jesus' words in this sermon, you would know that, that Jesus' words here are not a surprise, right? Jesus has been saying things like this all throughout. I mean, Jesus was saying, hey, it's not enough to not murder people. <laughs> he said, don't even think about murdering people. Don't harbor the kind of anger in your heart. It makes you less than human. Jesus didn't say to us, don't cheat on your spouse, right? He said, don't even think about cheating on your spouse. If you harbor those passions and those appetites inside, you become less than human. Jesus didn't tell people like us, hey, you know, do your, your best to actively, to not actively hate your enemies. Uh, he said, love your enemies. And pray for the people that hurt you. He didn't just say, give some of your money away to the needy. He said, give your money away so forgetfully, so quietly. It's like you don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> and on these and all the other things that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, he has called us to live differently. Some might say to live strangely. And that, is, and that is that striking and beautiful, visible alternative to being human in this world. It is hard and narrow, but it leads to life for the good of the world. There are, of course, other ways to live. <laughs> One of these issues that we have just mentioned, there are a wealth of moral permissions given. Right? And frankly, that, that way is wide and it's very easy. I mean, take Jesus' teaching on anxiety at the end of Matthew chapter 6. I don't, know how to, I don't know how you all respond to difficult things emerging in your life, but I can tell you, I can tell you about myself. It is very easy for me when very difficult things pop up in my life to walk down the wide and easy way. And it looks like me starting by submitting myself to the, to the anxious voice creeping into my thoughts and, and even into my sleep. It looks like me uh, starting to look an awful light, lot like Adam and Eve in the garden, wondering if I can really trust God. And then deciding, you know, I don't think I can, so I need to be him. And it looks like me becoming a frantic, panicked manager 
trying to control people, trying to control the things that I can't and, and shouldn't control. And I can convince myself, delude myself into thinking that all of my worry will definitely add to the span of my life. <laughs> I mean, I know it's obvious, church, but let me just say it. That is not a way that leads to life. It leads away from life. It's really easy, though, and it's remarkably wide. All I have to do is to drift into it. All I have to do is walk with the prevailing winds of fallenness at my back. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you know what that's like. And it's into that sleepiness, in, into that drift, into that stupor that, that Jesus comes with the gracious invitation that leads us out of that and into life. It is a narrow and it is hard, but it leads to our good, yours and mine, and for the, and for the world's good forever. <laughs> Are we going to walk behind him? And that leads right into the next signpost. Jesus is saying with this one, do not believe anyone who tells you otherwise. I mean, it makes me think of that famous line from the, the princess bride. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. <laughs> or as Jesus puts it, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I don't guess it. It's any secret at all that the church uh, universal, that the church broadly has been ravaged by, by charlatans and fakers and frauds from the very beginning. I mean, people who want money or sex or, or power or influence, and they slip into the sheep's clothing and they tear people up. And maybe there are some of you here this morning who have been taken advantage of by people like that maybe even abused by someone like that. And if that is you, I, I just want to say that, that my heart, my heart grieves, my heart aches for the way that evil has come to you, for the damage it has done, for the ways that it has postured like a sheep, but betrayed and seized upon innocence and beauty and goodness in you for their own appetites. You did not ask for that abuse. You did not cause that abuse. That abuse was not your fault. And I pray that you will find this place, this church, as a safe place, free from that kind of fear. And I pray that you will find it a place by God's grace of healing. And sometimes, Jesus says, sometimes you, you can spot those wolves from a mile away, and sometimes you can't. <laughs> And that's why Jesus gives us the test. He says, you will recognize the ravenous wolves by their fruits. Is there life hanging off of the vine? Is there beauty hanging in the branches? I mean, Jesus is not expecting leaders and teachers in his church to be perfect, but do they show humility? Do they show uh, the vulnerability to admit when they are wrong? Do they practice repentance? Do they lead other people into the practice of life-giving repentance? Do they point people to Jesus and to his way of life? Friends, Jesus has called us and he has given us everything that we need to follow him into life 
and into love as we have been created to love. And his teaching here in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, it is a reminder of the active, imaginative, creative kind of love that he calls us to. And this part of the sermon, it is a warning to all of the lesser, cheaper invitations that would lead us away from that life. And away from the good and away from the flourishing that he has made us for. May God give us ears to hear and hearts to receive his good word. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you didn't just from a distance somewhere drop down this thing that says whatever you wish would do to you, do to them. That you have not only said that to us, you have embodied it in the person of Jesus for our good for our good forever, for the life of the world forever. And so we ask, Father, that you would shape us, Father, to to be a people who believe that is true and who live into that belief through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, do that for our good and do that for the good of the broken world around us. We pray it in in the name of Christ. Amen.